Welcome to the Consultants Council podcast, a place for consulting industry guidance and best practice advisory. Whether you're working to grow in your consulting career, you're managing and developing a consulting firm, you're working with consultants, or you're just interested in business and high performance advice, we've got recommendations and education for you. I'm Kelsey Kreveling, founder and CEO of Kelsey Consulting, a firm focused on building high-performing organizations, teams, and individuals through a variety of ventures, including the Consultants Council. I've spent my career at the intersection of technology and management consulting, working with organizations across the country to help solve their toughest challenges, while also supporting the growth and development of multiple consulting firms, helping them improve their long-term performance trajectory. In addition, I serve as a startup investor and advisor, promoting the ideas of entrepreneurs as they work to gain traction in their industry. With so many people gearing up to launch their own businesses and establish their own consulting practices, I want to make available the advice and lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast is made possible by Kelsey Consulting with media support by Class Act Media. For more information, check out our site at theconsultantscouncil.com and kelsey.consulting. That's K-E-L-S-C dot consulting. And now, stay tuned for this episode's counseling because the consulting world is full of nuances and the answer is always, it depends. What's possible? Do more. Welcome to the Consultants Council. I am Kelsey Kreveling and I am so excited to have Mo Yang founder and CEO of Consulting Humor Media and the amazingly popular Instagram and social media account, Consulting Humor. So if you're in the consulting space and you're not already following what he's up to, you need to be because it's definitely a wonderful bit of humor amidst a lot of hard work. So really excited to have Mo here with us today. Uh, But Mo, you know, (laughs) you do a lot more than run consulting humor. You also have been a consultant, you've been an industry, and you're actually working now as a director overseeing revenue cycle for a major healthcare system. So tell us a little bit about your consulting background and how you came to want to start consulting humor. Well, I think I have to take a step further back than that, actually. Um, So most people don't know this, but um, I started my uh, professional career as a biochemist. Um, and I think I, I first published when I was 25 or something like that. I I don't actually remember. Um, but I really liked it. Uh, and the money was terrible. Uh, you know, it was a really nice, uh, gig in terms of problem solving because there wasn't any pressure, so to speak, because, you know, everything you do, you know, can potentially take six, eight, you know, 24 hours. Right. So it's a lot of, um, you know, very, very strict planning. Uh, and, you know, making sure that, you know, what you're doing is, is going to be valid. Um, and it's a different kind of problem solving, right? It's very slow paced, um, but problem solving nonetheless, right? Uh, and at some point, the lady who ran the lab asked me if I want to get my PhD. And I said, no, probably not. And so I thought about it for a while. And, you know, I decided to go to grad school and get my master's in health administration because I didn't want to stray too far from uh, healthcare. Um, I don't know why. It just felt like it was safe, right? Um, you know, all my friends at the time were out, out getting MBAs, and I don't know. I just never felt comfortable with it. Um, so I wanted something familiar. Um, I worked at the hospital over in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, you know, I ended up going to school and working there at the same time. Um, and what's interesting is, so so I'm in healthcare, right? I've been in healthcare consulting uh, for my entire consulting career. When I graduated from my program in 2012. 
the Affordable Care Act had just kicked in. Um, so that really um, made people nervous, made healthcare providers nervous, made, you know, vendors nervous, right? And they cut a lot of, um, you know, historically what we would see as the next step, which would be administrative fellowships, right? So we all do an internship and then after you graduate, it's, it's heavily pushed at least in my program it was, um, to go off and do it, uh, you know, a fellowship. It was kind of like, you have to do this, right? It's competitive, but you have to, this is like the way. So a lot of, you know, it became hyper competitive and a lot of, um, you know, the hospitals that we would normally be looking at, you know, if they had three positions, they'd only have one opening. So it was pretty rough. And what ended up happening was interesting because, you know, our program focused a lot on academic medicine, right? Because we were an academic teaching hospital. Um, and they didn't really talk about a whole lot um, else, right? And a lot of my classmates uh, ended up going to consulting. Um, you know, uh, quite a few went to Deloitte Huron. Huron's a big player in the healthcare uh, industry and advisory board, as advisory board was then. Um, and we knew nothing about consulting, which is really interesting, right? Because I think it's one of those things that's like, that's very, it's a very specific field. I think that MBAs uh, will have a good grasp on it, right? But kind of nobody else. Maybe those high school students that did DECA or something like that. Uh, that I'm not joking on. Those, they, it's it's like you ever meet a high school student that has like really weird adult energy. That's what that's what I feel like DECA is. And in any case, um, <laughs> it's not like you can walk down the street and be like, oh, you know. I work for Deloitte. Not that you asked, but I work for Deloitte, right? And nobody would know what that means. Um, no, no layperson anyway. Um, you know, and if they did, they're probably in professional services, right? Um, so it was a, not a well understood um, career path, uh, but nevertheless, it was one of the things that was available. Second thing people went was payer side. So, you know, dark side over there. Um, but it was really interesting because it was kind of a necessity where that traditional path of fellowship was closed off. Um, so I had never intended to go into consulting. I, I didn't know what consulting was. Um, and like I said, my, my friends were out getting their MBAs and I told them, Hey, you know, I'm interviewing for a consulting firm. And they said, okay, how, how's your, how's your case interviewing? I'm like, my what, what's a case interview? And, uh, yeah, my, my friend was like, oh my God. Um, so I drove down to DC from Philadelphia that night and he just, you know, spent all night going over cases and Aww. I just felt like I was you know, uh, shout out to Agile Humor, by the way. He, he runs that page. Um, but yeah, that was really, really crazy. And they ended up not casing me anyway. So it was fine. And that's how I kind of entered into consulting. Um, I entered through a boutique, by the way. I, I did end up working at Deloitte, but I started my career at a boutique. And, um, you know, at some point I figured it was time to move on. And, you know, Deloitte was kind of the next logical step then. But that's basically my journey. So now that you've transitioned out of consulting, what's your take on the consulting industry? I mean, for anyone who follows your account, there's a semblance of a love-hate dynamic with the industry. I think anybody, any rational person in consulting uh, would feel the same way. And I think that's actually why the, the page has been as successful as it's been. It's authentic. Um, you know, the, the content's changed a little bit throughout the years simply because, you know, I started it when I was a senior consultant and, you know, perspectives change. Um, you know, a lot of people grow with the account, right? Um, in fact, there's a, there's this guy, I, I look through our DMs 
And uh, when I started talking to him, he was a senior consultant. Now he's a principal at BCG. It's uh, it's crazy, right? But he, you know, he's still looking at the memes. Um, but yeah, I mean, my perspective on consulting hasn't changed. Maybe some people don't understand this, but I do like consulting. I I, I like the concept of consulting. I like the work, uh, the dynamic nature of it, um, and kind of the detachment. Because like, you know, at the end of the day, you're all off a project, you know, for better or worse, you don't live there, right? That's not your house. Um, and, you know, I think that has its advantages and disadvantages. But at the end of the day, you know, you move on from other stuff. Um, and you don't feel like you're tied down uh, to it, which I think is is a nice feeling, right? Because you could be stuck. I mean, like, I don't, I don't want to word it that way. But like, you know, if you work in industry, right, um, traditionally, if you were at one company, um, you know, to rise up to C-suite, right? You'd basically have to wait for the person above you to retire or die or, you know, get another job, right? Um, and, and in consulting, there's, you know, there's not really that kind of limitation, right? There's a lot of headroom to grow, right? So that's something that's kind of amazing, right? You don't really get that in, in industry. Um, so yeah, and then, you know, should you choose to stay, there's some, well, some pros and cons, um, definitely a give and take there, but there's a lot of opportunity for money. Um, and certainly if you land the right exit, there's also a lot of opportunity, um, you know, a lot of lucrative opportunities out there for you. So yeah, I mean, I, I like it, but again, I think any rational person who, who has um, been in the big firm consulting industry for any amount of time, uh, and if they're honest with themselves, realize there's an amount of BS that kind of comes with it, right? Um, and unfortunately, I think that a lot of these things, um, and we can, we can talk in more detail about these things later, but I think it's just a fact of life. I, I don't know that they can change because of the consulting model, unless you, you completely overhaul how the model works right now. Um, I don't think that some of the things that frustrate people are going to change, um, you know, like bad culture, um, poor leadership, poor preparation, um, you know. That, that sort of thing, right? It's just... Systemic? It, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just a product of how the, the, the system works. I mean, yeah, it's it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm frustrated with the things that um, are kind of inherent to consulting. I'd like them to change. But, you know, I think that my content is really, um, you know, centered around being an authentic reflection of, uh, of that experience. And when I first started the page, um, Basically, you know, I would sit, you know, in the hotel room at night after a day and I'd think about something stupid or whatever that happened that day. Um, like, we don't have access cards to get into the building. We're just standing outside looking in, waiting for, uh, you know, somebody to let us in. And that's kind of silly because we're already, you know, six weeks into the project, right? Um, things like that, you know, just little things. And timesheets are always fair game. Um <laughs> depression memes, right? Um, but, you know, I get a lot of feedback um, that, you know, if, if people are having a rough day, uh, they, they seem to find some comfort in it, especially if uh, it's something that really strikes a chord or something that they're dealing with right then and there, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I make fun of bad management, but honestly, like, it can be really a really serious issue, right? Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like it to have some kind of impact, but I don't know. Like, for where I'm sitting right now, I'm happy 
to hear people say that it has value to them, right? Beyond cheap laughs. Um, and I think, I think in terms of media available on the internet, it's probably the most accurate reflection of, you know, the, the big firm consulting culture uh, that exists right now. Sure. Oh, I mean, I've loved it for years. I think it is, you know, memes, there's many a, a truth told and a jest. And so much of what you share there, it's, we're all laughing because it's, it's an accurate depiction most of the time of what we're experiencing and what we go through and the frustrations we encounter. And I would love if this newer crop of the people following your page, but also that are entering consulting are able to be that transitory force that can change some of those systemic issues, can change the culture, can change the way that we do things such that we are not perpetuating a environment of sell at all costs, even if it's not what the client needs. I mean, I've experienced that before where partners are pushing things that a client doesn't require and it doesn't make sense to sell. And then how are we going to support that when there's nothing to justify it? So there's, there, I can go on and on. on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I mean, it's, it's so much fun to be able to laugh at oneself uh, and to do it through the lens of meme accounts that you know, really hit home. Uh, I think that's why you've been able to bring, gain so much incredible traction as it, it, it does resonate. Um, I'm curious though. So for a long time, you were uh, kind of behind the scenes. You were the, the person behind the curtain. When and why did you step out behind that and be ready to kind of become the public face of Consulting Humor? Oh, because I left Deloitte. And my current employer doesn't care. Okay. You know, it's not really, it's not even tangential to, to what I do now. Well, kind of, but anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the consulting humor brand is so far removed um, from my, you know, my day job that it doesn't really matter. With Deloitte, you know, it can get pretty, pretty dicey. What's interesting is that there are some creators that Deloitte does support, right? Um, uh, my friend Cadness over in uh, the UK, right? Deloitte UK supports her and she's one uh, some, uh, several awards, in fact, um, uh, for her, for her media, for her social media. Um, Deloitte US is a little bit more buttoned up, but, you know, now that I'm out, what's interesting is that a lot of high profile folks from the Deloitte leadership in, in Deloitte US are, are following. Um, I actually got a, a nasty gram from Dan Helfrich, who's the CEO of Deloitte US, um, uh, a couple of weeks back because, um, uh, one of the, one of the folks that helps run the page, um, you know, was gathering some, uh, you know, feedback from DMs and uh, basically that there was a meeting that Dan said, what could have been construed as layoffs are coming. You know, I, yeah, I have the quote there, Ben, and I don't know that that directly says that, but, you know, there were some figures that were quoted and Dan Alfred, the man himself, uh, uh, DMs me and said, hey, I just want to let you know that uh, one of your numbers is like off by like orders of magnitude. Um, and then he kind of like, he went off and, and then at the end he said, you know what, uh, love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. I'm like, nice recovery, Dan. Okay. Um, but he was annoyed enough to, uh, to have reached out to me. Um, and I think that's interesting because, you know, like only when I'm annoyed enough, say at like a comment or something like that, that's just mind boggling and stupid. Will I post a rebuttal? Right. And that's probably how he was feeling. Um, 
but that brings up an interesting point, but whether or not he was annoyed, which he was, um, it really does say something about where, you know, the, the brand is now. Right. Um, and people, people are watching and people are listening. And, you know, I think that, you know, on one level, it's all fun and games on, on another level, you know, it can be important to shift opinions, um, and, and spread information. Right. Totally. Well, and you're gaining such great insights and you've got such a wealth of engagement because, I mean, there's many accounts that have a lot of following, but you've got engaged users that really want to communicate with you regularly. What are your plans for the future? Where do you see consulting humor going? What would you like to be able to, to do with that user base? Well, I'd like to do consulting humor full time, right? Um, and to do that, I need to create a sustainable service line, a service offering, right? Because right now it's basically floating on advertising revenue, right? Which is okay, but it's not sustainable, right? And it's definitely not stable. Um, so there needs to be something of, you know, a service offering. One of the things that I've been throwing around is uh, recruiting. Um, yeah, because the, the reach right now within the world of consulting, and, and this is worldwide, uh, excluding China, um, but... You know, twelve percent of my following out of you know four hundred fifty thousand is in India, right? So we got the offshore teams there. Um, you know, we have Indonesia, Malaysia, Southeast Asia, uh, and we have um, the Middle East. It's really global, and I tend to forget that sometimes because often I'll say something, and I'm and I do mean the U.S., but again, I, I you know, I'm kind of like you know U.S. centric, um, but it does have worldwide reach now. Um, and within the U.S. specifically, right? Um, I did some back of the napkin calculations on this, and so, and this is old data though. 2010, um, I think the census said that there were 650,000 people in the U.S. who identified as management consultants, right? That's not a big number, right? Yeah. When you think about the other, you know, real social media accounts that have millions of followers, this cannot reach that. Um, you know, it just can't because of, of, you know, how many consultants there actually are, right? Um, but if you think about these numbers and you think about, okay, if you're a consultant and you use Instagram, right? Like there's probably something like a one in three chance that if you are a consultant or an ex-consultant and you use Instagram pretty consistently, there's like a one in three chance that you have at least heard of um, uh, consulting humor or something like, a, you know, one in four chance that you follow. And it's crazy because I'll go to city from city to city, at least when I was at Deloitte and um, you can spot consultants right away. Yep. Um, you know, the world is small, very small. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? It's crazy, yep. right? Um, you yep. go to any hotel bar. Uh, Pick them right out of the crowd. Yeah. Um, you know, 11 PM lobby, Lenovo laptops, you know, it's that we're easy, to, we're easy to spot. Not only are we easy to spot, but we also are fairly easy to predict, but we represent uh, a unique market demographic that I tend to think is slightly different than others across professional services um, because of our travel and road warrior lifestyle. So we're, traditionally well compensated, but we also have limited free time, which then challenges home, personal life. And so high discretionary income, low time, 
there's a, a dichotomy there that creates an interesting preference towards quality, uh, towards great food, towards great culture, towards the things that we can do to enjoy the immediacy of life and to make the difficult time and hours that we work more rewarding. Uh, how have you seen that kind of persona play out in the demographics that you're seeing globally, not just US-based? So consulting culture is so different um, from region to region. Okay, so, so I wanna talk pre-COVID first, right? So pre-COVID, consultants, uh, you know, and it's exactly like you said, I mean, it's, you know, we were traveling, um, you know, four days a week, got, you know, hotel points, airline points, um, all the food comped, um, you know, healthy bonus, uh, year end bonuses and things like that. Like, for example, you know, analysts coming in, um, it used to be kind of, uh, you know, for male analysts anyway, um, pretty standard for them to blow their first uh, year end bonus on you know, an entry level Rolex or something like that, right? Or, you know, get some nice Allen Edmonds or some, I guess maybe the meta is shifting to Ferragamos. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really in that, but you know, some, some nice stuff, right? Some really, yep. really nice stuff. Yep. And there was, there was a lot of clout with that, right? Um, but also kind of a weird, uh, unhealthy, toxic culture of uh, competing on who has the worst uh, work-life balance. Like, you know, we'll sit around in the bar and be like, oh, man, I work like, you know, like 80 hours. And the guy sitting next to you will be like, you know, I worked like 100 hours last week. So, you know, call me when you get a full time job or something like that. Right. And it's like, but why? Like, why are you bragging about how much you work? That's awful. Right. But, you know, it was just it. And it's I don't know. It's a very East Coast vibe type thing. Right. Uh, it's it's a grind. vibe, um, And at least that's what it was before COVID, right? And I think the culture shifted uh, quite a bit now. And it's not just consulting. I think it's it's the labor force. Everyone, that. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's the uh, anti-work sentiment. Oh, well, like Reddit anti-work, not like you're opposed to work uh, kind of sentiment. Uh, or, or rather, the worker is wanting to be compensated fairly or treated fairly for their worth, right? Which I think is, is great. Right? Good things. Those are good um, things. And that's something that I want to support, right? Um, so I have the 450,000, uh, 450K follower survey up now. Um, now I didn't design that survey. Uh, I did thumb through it, but I don't know if we have salary um, uh, questions on there this time. But I have done that before. And the purpose of that was to, um, you know, give everybody access to wage transparency. Um, right. And this is like during the great, resignation and the, or the shuffle, right? Uh, where, you know, if you jump from one big four to another, you know, you could probably, you know, grab 30% more than what you're making, right? Um, and that was my attempt to help people understand what they were worth, right? If they wanted to jump, because why would you stay? Um, but anyway, like, I, I want to make sure that, you know, again, like, I, I provide value where I can. Um, and when the 450k survey is is closed, all that data will be publicly available and anonymized. That'll be pretty cool. Well, the consumer insights there that you're gaining are awesome. And I think really helpful also for people coming into consulting to realize that while there are differences from firm to firm and differences from region to region, that 
they are also, there's also a lot of commonalities and that when you're in the trenches and working so hard, it is helpful to know that you're not alone in that, that there are other people that are experiencing, that there are other people that have gone through it. Um, and while we definitely want to work to make it be a much more just high quality of life environment, uh, general work-life balance, right. Um, that others strive for, um, it also still offers just a really great springboard for other things in your career. I'm curious, um, since you said you didn't know much about consulting before you got into it, what's something that kind of really surprised you when you got into consulting that you weren't aware of beforehand? Well, I, I kind of think that, you know, if you don't know anything about it, you can't be surprised. Right. Um, but to your point about commonality, right. So, you know, I started out in a boutique firm, right. And I, I, I started consulting humor when I was at that firm. Right. And, you know, when you, when you start at a boutique and you don't know anything else, again, like this is my first, you know, exposure to consulting. And then you look at the big firms, right. Um, you know, Accenture, KPMG, Deloitte, PwC, whatever, right. McKinsey Bay. And, and it seems some, like something unreachable, right? But one of the things that my page actually helped me understand was that pretty much all experiencing the same frustrations and the same things. Uh, you know, I was on a smaller scale, certainly, but the, you know, the day-to-day the, the -day aspects um, were the same, no matter if you were in McKinsey or McBee, right? <laughs> Rather unknown uh, healthcare consulting firm. Um, and actually gave me the assurance and self-confidence to go apply for Deloitte. Because at some point, you know, I'm, I'm running this meme page. I'm like, well, it seems like, you know, my experiences are every bit as valid as anybody else's. So why not? Let me let me just try. And I tried and it worked, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe that's what's surprising, right? It, it, you know, if you're if you're talking about a firm model, right? you know, the, the experience is more or less the same. Um, in fact, I'd go so far to say as big four Accenture, rather indistinguishable, like, you know, the, this is all incestuous anyway. Right. Right. Everyone's um, jumping around. Well, and you live long enough and you kind of go off from where you've been and you realize everyone's just hopping and jumping yeah. like, oh, you're here now. Oh, you're here now. Oh, you're there now. Yeah, oh, like, got it. You know. It's like, I'll see somebody jump from EY to Deloitte uh, to KPMG, uh, but everybody's from Huron in the healthcare consulting yeah. world, right? right. Um, but yeah, like it's it's all the same because the model is the same, I think. And, you know, people go from firm to firm, um, if not for money, under the impression that maybe the culture will be better. And I think that's a fallacy. I think that that's you know, how, how your projects are and how the, you know, how the model works is that, you know, you're going to jump from project to project, right? And, you know, there's no telling who's going to be leading that project. There's no telling what that client is going to be, right? So who's to say that, you know, work-life balance or, or the projects or the culture is better at PwC uh, than EY, you know, can't. To the project team. Yeah. 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 Uh some advice, what advice would you then have for project leaders who are maybe kicking off and getting to run their first project team? How can they cultivate an engagement and environment that their team members want to be a part of? Um, communicate with their 
team, support their team. Um, you know, the, just do the opposite of the bad. So the, the worst things, I think the worst leaders are the ones that do not support their team. That if something goes wrong, they don't step out and, you know, in front of a problem and they just, you know, let their, let their team take the heat. Right. Um, I know it's hard to teach people, by the way, like to train people uh, while you're doing a million things. Right. Um, but I think that there needs to just be some time that you set aside um, just to do one-on-ones. And, you know, a lot of the firms have that you're supposed to do those, right? You're supposed to, um, well, actually, I think, I think, so for example, at Deloitte, like you're, as a senior consultant, I need to go ask my senior manager, um, you know, for, for feedback, right? Which is fine, you know, as long as that's open um, and, you know, the, the communication is, is honest and forthright, right? Because um, again, another like bad leader trait is to just kind of string somebody along and, you know, you have no intention of helping them. Um, rather, you just want them off your project, which, you know, that I think that's really lousy, really lousy, you know, and, you know, it's it's really hurtful. Uh, I've been through that before. And I think that, you know, if you if you give people feedback and you give them, a, you know, a, a fair chance at stuff, you know, um, they'll show their true character. Right. Because if they're not going to work out, they're not going to work out. But oftentimes, if you give people a chance and maybe they just miss the mark because they don't understand something, then, you know, that's what makes a better leader, right? Uh, but, you know, it's, it's just communication and empathy, respect for people's time, um, and and candidness, right? I I know a lot of what consulting is, building your firm capital, your, your you know, your own brand at your firm is politicking, right? But when you get into that leadership position and you're, you know, you're talking about your own team rather than I don't know, fighting for a promotion or whatever. Like, I think you can take, um, you know, you can step out there and, and be honest with your team about what you need from them, right? right. You don't need to mince words. It doesn't help anybody. No, it doesn't. Well, and being, like, as you said, being able to be candid, people appreciate that. Like we were saying earlier, that's why people appreciate your page because it is authentic. People are really feeling like they're being heard and... That goes a long way. That doesn't mean you can be casual, that, but you can certainly be kind and considerate and mm -hmm. empathetic and transparent while still being respectful of the things that you do have to keep a bit more sure. reserved. Sure. Right. I mean, there's, there's certainly sensitivities that crop up on clients and there's things that just are not, they don't need to be shared. Um, mm. But there's a way to do that delicately, certainly. Yeah. Um, but what advice then would you have on the flip side for consultants who are looking to advance in their career and looking to be a part of high performing teams on their consulting projects? How do you think that they can really show up and um, contribute? I'm going to be extremely honest here. Okay. I don't know if this is something that, um, I don't know, is, is going to, if that people are going to understand or even agree with, but this is what I believe. Um, the most important thing, and this probably transcends consulting, but, but certainly in consulting, it's more important to be well-liked um, literally than anything else. Right. Yeah, you're going to have to do the work, right. But it's way more important that people like you and trust you and think you're a reliable person. Right. Um, whether or not, that's legitimized by any proof 
incidentally. Um, but yeah, if, if people like you, your life is going to be a lot easier. You're going to have to figure out how to work people. I think this is, I mean, this is the thing about being a consultant. You need to uh, be a people person, right? Um, and the people who kind of understand that very early on um, are going to be the people who are most successful, right? This is funny, you know, my, uh, you know, my, my colleague who, uh, you know, saw, he actually flagged Dan Helfrich's uh, DM for me. Uh, he's like, well, at least he doesn't seem mad. I'm like, I was like, look, Dan Helfrich didn't get to be CEO of Deloitte US by tipping his hand. All right. No, he's angry. He's absolutely furious. But, but, you know, he can't, you know, he can't take it any further than he has already, you know. Right. Right. But yeah, emotional intelligence, uh, get that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, be well liked. People liking you is the most important thing. Um, and people can fight me on that, but they'd be wrong. I tend to think of it as being diplomatically considerate. So I've lived a life where people oftentimes do not like me. That was the entirety of my whole growing up as through high school, et cetera. It was horrible. And I worked really hard to be well liked and that still just fell flat. And it's like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to keep being myself. And if you like me, great. If you don't, that's on you and I'm going to keep moving forward. So what you're saying, I find interesting. Um, I think there's a, a difference between being well liked and being engaging and being of value. And the reason I say that is because there's many people that I've worked with that I maybe haven't liked personally, and I don't need to like them personally to be able to work well with them, but I enjoy working with them because I respect the value that they bring to the table and I respect the energy that they show up with, with the engagement that they offer, with the consideration and thought processes that they render. And that for me has always been incredibly value, value add, valuable. Um, and that doesn't, at least in my sense, doesn't mean that they're well liked. It means that they are engaging and that they do render camaraderie with the people that they interact with. And so for anyone who's maybe in a similar category as, as me, where it's like, gosh, I don't feel like I'm always well liked, but I certainly work really hard to be engaging and to be considerate and to care about the people that I interact with. Um, I, I do think that that offers uh, an opportunity to be able to interact positively with those around you and then to be able to showcase your skills and your talents and that value add that do allow you to move through the ranks and move through the opportunities with your clients. Um, because I mean, I, I regularly, I don't, I don't want my clients to like me, me, because quite frankly, most of the time they don't get to know who I am. I don't show them every part of me. That would just be not professional. Uh, but I do want them to enjoy working with me. I do want them to, to like that aspect of the exchange and of the interaction. So that would be how I would, I'm, I'm just, I'm resonating on what you, uh, you said so, there about being well-liked. I want to tell you a story. Um, so one of uh, the folks who used to work with me um, when he was leaving my firm um, asked me for some advice, some career advice. And this, this guy was the hardest, he's super smart, hardest working person I've ever met kind of sadistic with how hard he worked. He's at Goldman Sachs now, by the way. So 
perfect fit. Um, and and so he he asked me, he was like, "Somo, like, you know, career advice for moving on." So he was leaving my firm, going to KPMG, and I said, "Hey, man, like, listen, you you are so smart, you are so hardworking. That's not going to get you where you want to be. Listen, I had a friend when I was young. His name is Lewis, right? Now Lewis is a really nice kid. He's soft spoken, um, just really a nice kid. You couldn't be angry at Lewis." Um, because he was just so pleasant, right? But the thing about Lewis is he was hardworking, right? And he was smart and he was talented. In fact, he'd be better than you at anything, right? Everything you do. Um, you know, he was a better musician than me. Uh, he went to Harvard and then he got his MD PhD at Penn. You know, like he's, he's just an all around just superstar, right? But you know, when he heard me playing guitar and he was, he was an amazing pianist and violinist, right? And he heard me playing guitar He's like, yo, that's really cool, man. Like, you know, he made me feel good about what I was doing, right? So my friend, um, you know, who was leaving the firm, he had this habit of working really hard, but then becoming bitter at the people who weren't on his level. And I said to him, you know, listen, you work for yourself. Like you, that, that hard work, that's for you. Don't get bitter at other people, but be like Lewis, right? He could be smoking you in every category, but he's going to make you feel like, you know, he's going to make you feel good about what you're doing. And that's what you need to do, right? So, you know, just, just mind yourself on that. Um, and, you know, it took him a little while to, to turn that around. And he, when he did, um, and I recently had a conversation with him about this. He's like, you, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you just try to try to lift people up, but, you know, don't mind doing better than him, right? Just, just remember, like, you know, just make people feel good about their achievements and their accomplishments. Don't lord yours or expect people to be on the same level as you. Um, because you're a sicko, by the way, you know, <laughs> but, um, that was the best advice I could give him, um, yeah. of his personality. Right. Well, and I've always lived kind of with the belief of when you get more interested in other people and what they're doing and you care and you consider, uh, that becomes so much more effective anytime you're trying to engage from a business development perspective, when you're trying to build new friendships, when you're trying to just engage in relations with people uh, because people want to feel heard. They want to be listened to. And when you can show up from a place of, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I want to get to know you. I want to understand you. And I want to understand how, what you are doing, rendering, engaging in can then be utilized with other people that are in my network and that I can then connect you with, that I can help you. Right. Like, that doesn't necessarily result in anything for me in the immediacy of that interaction, but it fosters incredible relations that then can magnify over time. That's kind of always been my mentality ever since I was probably pretty little. Um, and so far it's worked out okay, right? But I had interesting conversation the other day with someone and we were commenting on um, someone we've worked with and how that person was really working diligently to get ahead in their career, which kudos to them, right? But we were observing that that working on their career and that the interactions they were having with others were all from a self-serving place. They were not going after opportunities from a, a position of how can I help and make a difference for others? How can I render value? It was all about what can other people do for me? And that was apparent right from the initial conversations with that individual. And so as you look at how people do, 
ascend through the, the ranks and are able to, to move in their careers, that authenticity and that um, empathy and consideration, I think, do go a very long way. And people can pick up on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I'm super curious. What is your favorite consulting-ism? Call me, dot, dot, dot. Okay. What's your least favorite? You know, you ever said that? You, have you ever sent that text out? Call me, dot, 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 to any of your employees. I don't think so. Really? Oh. No, because like it, it has such an ominous, like. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what it is. And like, you know, it's just. um. It's a, it's, I feel, I feel like it's a thing from the older cadre of, um, you know, partners and managing directors. Um, I don't know if they even mean to come off that way, but it just be like, you know, call me. Dot, dot, right. dot. It's like, text me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's just, there's just so much fluff and jargon um, and just, you know, so many ways to say absolute no, absolutely nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I do overuse a line. And I do still overuse leverage. I don't know. Like I, I, I want to come up with more interesting um, idioms or turns of phrases and try to just sneak those in um, and, and make them the thing. I don't know. Um, it, it's really funny because I think that consulting speak where it first originated, um, I would say like, you know, say back in, I don't know, the eighties and nineties, it was a very, you know, uh, consulting professional services finance kind of kind of thing right but now it's kind of disseminated out into right. uh yeah and you know it's we i just, just think it's, it's, it's really just brought down the overall public dialogue <laughs> um but you know we need to stay ahead of it we need we need to right. keep keep inventing new stuff that just mm-hmm. just makes people think right, right. Because it is exhausting to think in the to, to speak like that and then have to kind of unravel that sort of thing. And I think that's the purpose of it, right? To just be mm-hmm. mentally exhausting um, when you talk at people. And then throw in enough acronyms and no one will question what your recommendations are and be very confident when you project that. And it's all that's necessary, right? I honestly think that speaking in metaphors and idioms truly is mentally exhausting for the listener to, to decode. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when, it's funny when I'm in China, right? Like I'm, I do speak Chinese, but I don't like speak it on my day to day. So having to speak Chinese and, and kind of translate that in my head is absolutely exhausting. Um, and at the end of the day, I just feel absolutely spent because, you know, it's just, it's like a marathon, um, you know, and I, and I suspect that if you're in a three hour meeting, and everything this person is ta- saying to you is some turn of phrase or metaphor or something that your brain has to decode before you understand what it means. That's that's probably going to wear you down. But I, I mean, I, I I'm interested in stuff like that anyway. I, I've been interested as you know from the first time I I've heard um, you know my my principal uh, sling some of that stuff out at a client meeting. I was like, wow, I'm writing some of this stuff down. <laughs> Yeah, there's definitely some good ones out there. I think there, I mean, there's even some videos of how one can use so many phrases to say something that sounds like it makes sense, but yet it actually says absolutely nothing. Um, Okay, so in terms of travel, I'm curious, favorite client location? 
Chicago or New York. Yep. Yeah, I just, right there. I just, there's just a lot of stuff to see. And, you know, I actually have friends in both cities. Um, I did all travel to San Francisco. That was cool, too. Um, but, yeah, I would say that Dallas. I actually really like Dallas. Okay. Um, I, you know, I lived in Houston for a number of years, but um, I think I've lived in Dallas for over a calendar year at this point. Um, just from, you know, just being in and out four days a week for a, an absurd amount of time for various clients. But, you know, I've come to like Dallas, um, Richmond, actually, um, but uh, Richardson, sorry, Richardson um, in Dallas. I definitely gravitate towards the large cities as well. I would say Chicago being my favorite fits me. Um, Denver was a great location. New York is a good location. Um, Where's the worst place you've been? Oh, gosh. I've been to some very small towns. Mine is Marshfield, Wisconsin. Okay. No offense to people from Marshfield, Wisconsin. Whatever. They know. Um, I, I posted something about Marshfield, Wisconsin, and then I got a comment about that. They were like, yo, um, Nuts Deep 2, right? Because there's a bar called Nuts Deep 2 implying that there's a nuts deep one but i don't think there is and it's like the same guy who owns the rolling roller skating rink and the bowling alley and nuts deep okay in, so in, yeah it's a very very small town yeah i uh for a long time i was in two to four cities a week most weeks of the year and that would have me flying all over so no sense of kind of permanence or the ability to have a schedule because it would be different cities each week and I saw so many small towns across the United States where there is a healthcare system and there is not any semblance of quality food or quality accommodations. And so you're really running pretty ragged, um, trying to find something that you can consume that is. Yeah. Northern Pennsylvania is like that. Okay. The health system scattered uh, along the border uh, mm -hmm. of Pennsylvania and New York. It's uh, pretty rough, pretty rough out there. Yeah, there's there's definitely some some interesting locale. All right, well, Mo, it has been so much fun chatting tonight. We can go on and on about consulting, the consulting industry, the craziness of it, the horror stories, the the great wins. Um, any further advice or sentiments you'd like to share uh, with those who are either in the consulting industry or for those who work with consultants and engage with consultants? Do what makes you happy, right? Um, I think that sometimes, you know, there's this pressure to go, you know, oh man, I have to make manager. Now I have to make senior manager, right? But if it doesn't make you happy, really, then why do it, right? Um, because other people say this is how the progression should go. No, like just figure out what you want um, from your career, from your life. And I think that things will work themselves out. I mean, especially if you're already in like a big four MBB, things will work out. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, so yeah. Do it makes you happy. Life advice, not consulting advice. Ah, sometimes they're one and the same. All right, Mo. Well, thank you so much for joining this evening. So thrilled to have you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Consultants Council. Thank you so much for your interest and engagement. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about by writing in to info at theconsultantscouncil.com. Thanks to Kelsey Consulting for sponsoring this podcast and to Class Act Media for the media support. And with that, cheers and all my best. Have a great week. 
And remember, what's possible? Do more.